Kincaid's day in a world of pretension, award show controversy, and fear of COVID in theaters. In the midst of the local Rite Aid, Walgreens, Walmart, and Dollar Store, thou hast established a mountain of disorganized cinematic hope called the Cheapy Bin, the Cheapy Bin, the Cheapy Bin, where for a dram, a ducat, a dollar, or a few, one could take a flyer, a bold chance, on a film one might not normally cast an eye scan. For thou knowest that should this film not live up to expectation. Well, hell, you can just give it the goodwill or whatever. But hey, with those cheapy bins every now and then, just like back in the old days of the paperback book exchange at the library or the, or the book swap store, you might just happen across a little gem, which, damn it, ends up being you know a surprise favorite. One you otherwise might have never even discovered if you had to commit to investing 15 bucks to see it theatrically or even 10 or $5 just to stream it. So yeah, in celebration of that, we're here, as we are this time every year, with an award show not quite like any other. No red carpets, production numbers, exclusion of some categories to make the show zoom along faster than last year. Uh-uh, just a handful of films, six from me, six from Craig, that we've come to love over the past year simply because we took a flyer on picking them up for a buck or two in ye old cheapy bin. And oh yeah, as always, these aren't necessarily films which came out within the last year. No, some could be newer or older, they could be 10 or 30 or more years older. These are films which one or the other of, us, other of us just saw over the last year because we picked it up after sifting through one or more of those mountainous well of the souls called The Cheapy Bin. I'm Craig Jamison of Gold Cottage Online. And I'm Jim Delaney of TheLunchMovie.com. And welcome to an all-new edition of The Movie Sneak, Cheaper by the Dozen, the fifth annual Cheapy Bin Awards for movies that no one gave a damn about, but should. So let's jump right into this. As we said earlier, uh, these aren't necessarily films which came out within the last year, but films which either Jim or myself only just saw within the last year because we picked them up in that cheapy bin. Uh, The categories today will be Best Remake or Reboot, Biggest Pleasant Surprise, Most Technically Impressive, Fave Which Most of the World Absolutely Hated. That's always a fun one. (laughs) Favorite Guilty Pleasure. Always another fun one. And then finally, favorite cheapy bin film of 2021. So, uh, Jim, would you like to start? 
Sure. Um, let's go with uh, uh, best remake and reboot, and and this is one. Well, I'll just cut right to it. The Legend of Tarzan from 2016. Oh, cool! Right? I freaking love that movie. I, I know it. you do. And here's the thing: you put it on my map with your review. Cool. Uh, right? You know, luckily, um, it's been long enough since you wrote that that I'd kind of forgotten the finer points. Mm-hmm. All I really remembered was that critics were largely underwhelmed, but your review made it seem like the movie I, I hoped it would be. Right? Um, and now that, what, five, six years later, I finally got to see it, damn it, it was. Rom's got the diamonds, there's a thousand men down there, and 20,000 more on the way. We're screwed. Where are you going? Get some friends. who don't know it's it's directed by david yates who gave us half the harry potter movies and all the fantastic beast movies mm-hmm. uh so you know there's there's a man who knows his way around effects which this movie uses plenty of mm-hmm. um and you know the the, the thing that I, I knew like i said i forgot the finer points of your review so i kind of walked into it not really knowing which version we're going to see here and it ended up to me anyway feeling like a pretty direct sequel to hugh hudson's 1984 movie Greystone. Yeah, it kind of is. It, right? it, it like, does work as such. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not another origin story. There's enough flashbacks to fill you in if you're if you're totally new to this. Um, but it you know, and, and aside from being like Ray Soak, it's also sort of follows a similar story arc to Hook, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have Peter Pan in there and, and Tarzan here, kind of rejecting his Tarzanness and 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 going back to England and trying to live under his noble title. Um, he gets drawn back to the Congo by a couple of real life characters is uh, uh, Samuel Jackson was an American politician named uh, uh, George Washington Williams. And then our, our, you know, everybody's favorite villain of the past decade or more. <laughs> right. Right. Christoph Waltz plays a Belgian named Leon Rum, who is uh, working on behalf of King Leopold uh, to colonize and, and imperialize uh, the Congo. Uh, also a real life character. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I didn't know until until after the movie. Which I kind of th- I'm kind of glad to have not known that going in, yeah. right? It just it, it, I I knew so little about this, and except except that you loved it. Okay, cool. And cool. Uh, and you know, Alexander Skarsgård, perfectly fine Tarzan. Most folks yeah. knew him at the time from True Blood, from the Showtime show. Uh, Margot Robbie, not yet a household name because this is before Suicide Squad and mm-hmm. and uh, and I Tanya. And then the aforementioned Jackson and, and Waltz just picture perfect. And it's just it's neat because it's a it's a familiar enough take because, like I say, it echoed Greystoke, which you and I both loved. Mm-hmm. But then it also just it it it's a new. I, I don't even know the I have It's been 40 plus years since I've read any of the Edgar Rice Burroughs novels. Uh-huh. So I don't even know canon wise where this fits. And I don't care. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's just a solid movie that that did its job well and and loved that you know all the animals were CGI and still look great. Like it's so no, phenomenal, right? No animal endangerment or any of that concern. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, you know one of the one of the charges of Tarzan and you know uh, culturally in the last generation or so was that well he's kind of a British you know white man's burden uh, uh, 
white man savior complex. And the neat thing is this movie kind of addresses that, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it makes him, it makes him, well, one, almost recognizing it and trying to walk away from it and staying out of it. But then a two, it draws him back in and makes him, instead of part of the imperialism, it makes him a, a, a weapon against it. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, just, just a damn solid movie. And, and now I actually, I've, I've been resisting going back and reading your review and now I'm going to, cause I know it's just going to heighten my appreciation of it even more for a movie that cost me a whole $4 in writing. <laughs> cool. And by the way, as far as being faithful to Canon, it really is one of the reasons I loved it so much is because a, the way it weaves in the history, mm-hmm. uh, and B, um, that whole story between him and the character played by Diamond Hansu. Mm-hmm. That's from the Burroughs stories. Oh, is it? Great. Yeah, okay. yeah. Great. And great. even the whole thing with um, there's a conflict with him and I guess you can say the head of the apes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's from the Burroughs stories, too. Great. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which, which is really cool. Yeah. It, it, I, I thought it deserved an Oscar nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay because of the way it wove in the Burroughs stuff and wove in real life history and just made a damn solid, fast moving, enjoyable action movie too all at once i yeah i was just so impressed with it so, and then, so we saw it and now we're seeing how well it works because for as little as i knew and as much as you knew it still worked for both of us really well so that's yeah, you know that's that's a good sign very cool my choice for best remake reboot was something we mentioned a couple of shows ago but i had not seen it at the time i don't think you had seen it at the time i don't know if you've seen it since i'm gonna go with the 2017 remake of papillon how much further to the world you're starting us down Dick. come on don't take another step you're not taking me back that depends you have my money Hey, Poppy, it's okay. This is my guy with the boat. What's our boat? It's a ways up the river. You want me to take it there? Pay me. I was shocked. Um, it's directed by uh, uh, Michael Knorr, who's his first English language film from the uh, Danish director known for uh, Key House Mirror. Now, I love Frank Nishapner's Papillon. It's one of my all-time fave Sunday afternoon movies, you know, the one where you sprawl on a couch and sink into its two-and-a-half-hour running time. So originally, I kind of had no desire to see the remake, but a couple of things convinced me. Main thing was, after I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, I just had to see everything with Remy Malek in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, he was fun in Night at the Museum. In the Night at the Museum movies, he was, you know, the Pharaoh. Uh, he was in the Pacific. I had not seen an episode of Mr. Robot, but after Bohemian Rhapsody, I was like, yeah, he'll make a great Louis Degas, which is the character Dustin Hoffman portrayed in the original film. And I've also become a big Charlie Hunnam fan over the years too, especially from his appearances in the various Guy Ritchie movies. And I was so over time, I was like, yeah, he would make a great. Pappy, you know, Papillon. Uh, so <clears throat> when I came across it in a cheapy bin for a dollar. You know, uh, it, it was a no-brainer. And some films, it takes you like a few months or even a year to get to after you pick them up. Uh, I watched that one within the next day, maybe even that night. <laughs> now, the original Papillon, 
based on the book by uh, Henri Carrier, and I think I'm pronouncing his name properly. Um, uh, and the film came out in 73, directed by Frank Schaffner. It covered 14 years from 1931 to 45 that Henri spent in the uh, Devil's Island penal colony in French Guiana. Now, he wrote a sequel novel, Banco, uh, after the film came out, and that covered the time he spent in Venezuela after his escape. Now, I like how the film doesn't pretend to split itself into two halves, you know, one from Papillon and one from Banco. It's still pretty much the same story as the Schaffner film, written by Dalton Trumbull and Lorenzo Semple Jr., and the credits even say, says, based on the novel, uh, you know, uh, Papillon and Banco by Henri, Henri Carrier, and the screenplay by Trumbull and Semple Jr. It reads that way in the credits. So it is a remake of the film. But what really makes it work for me, in addition to those two actors perfectly filling out those characters, is the third act, the last half hour, is pretty much taken from the second book, which I have not read, by the way. I just, you know, did some looking up after I watched the film. And that last half hour really sets this apart as its own film. I really love that last half hour. I mean, all the other stuff that was in the original film is there, and it works. Uh, they did a damn good job of redoing it. But that last half hour, which I won't tell you about, it's not a big surprise. It's not a big twist. It's actually pretty low-key and rather subtle. But it's kind of touching and very clever. And that made me really, really like this film. And this might just become another Sunday afternoon fave. Uh, I haven't yet sat down to watch it back to back with the original. I keep telling myself I'm going to do that. I haven't done it yet, but uh, I'll probably do it one Sunday. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, definitely, um, definitely a surprise for me there. That's great. No, I still haven't. I do remember talking about it and I still have not seen it. And now, yeah, now I got it. And especially since it seems like uh, some of the, some of the same movies keep popping up in both of our, our right. Exactly. From Philly and Boston, who knows elsewhere around the country. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That they, you know, some of the same movies keep showing up in the same bins. So you know, mm -hmm. I'm definitely keeping an eye out for it now. Cool. Now, next category, uh, I kind of ended with the phrase. It was a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so the next category is biggest pleasant surprise. Uh, now, for me, I know this is going to sound odd and ironic, but my biggest pleasant surprise was 2013's The Dallas Buyers Club, hmm. uh, directed by Jean-Marc Vallée. I, 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 I had not seen it before, um, and I was surprised in that, yeah, it won McConaughey a well-deserved Oscar. Yeah, it was critically acclaimed, but I just didn't, for some reason, expect it to be what it was. Uh, its ad campaign made it seem inspirational, yeah, and it was. But it was also very brutal and profane and angry and down and dirty. And in the midst of that kind of darkness, the hope, even one sprung forth from what is technically illegal activity, <laughs> just shines even brighter. God damn. Hard to say how much I miss y'all's ugly mug. You say, Clinto, where are you? Hanging your pants these days. <sighs> another beer with you, sweetheart. What can you say? I said grab me a cold one. Sugar cane. Are you looking to get your ass kicked? No, I don't want that. Faggot blood on me. Hey, 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 come on. Goddamn fucker. Hey, hey, hey. Huh? Come on, shit. We no, no, I'm all right. all right. That motherfucker's all a right. fucking problem. Fuck's your problem? Hey, Ron, I want no trouble, all right? <laughs> Fuck y'all, man. 
McConaughey's Ron Woodruff, uh, based upon the real person who passed away in 1992, he doesn't pretend to be a Robin Hood. You know, this is not an after-school special. Uh, at a time in the 1980s when AIDS, HIV was under-researched and hell, President, then-President Ronald Reagan uh, came under fire because he couldn't even bring himself to say the word AIDS, uh, uh, Woodruff underwent some experimental treatments in Mexico uh, and brought back non-approved pharmaceuticals, which ended up greatly prolonging his life, and he began to sell them <laughs> becoming a target of the DEA to other people dying of AIDS and helping to prolong their lives too. Uh, so that's basically the story, and it is a hell of a story in and of itself. But, and I've used this example before, um, the film Philadelphia. I remember when that film first came out, a lot of people that I knew, you know, working side by side with, uh, who were in the gay community, you know, working in restaurants and, and, and at video stores and stuff. I remember, not all, but there were some uh, uh, folks in the gay community who were pissed at the film, I don't know, didn't explore the relationship between Tom Hanks and Antonio Banderas. And it's kind of not who the movie was directed towards. Um, I think I used the example. There was a guy I worked with at a restaurant. He was a bartender who was the most homophobic son of a bitch you ever met. He was always like, oh, man, I can't stand them kind of people. Oh, man, check these guys out. Check these guys out. You know, and man, he was just terrible. And he saw the film. And he, we were, we, we were talking the next day. He said, hey, man, I saw the movie Philadelphia. And he kind of prefaced his, 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 his um, earlier statement. He said, well, you know, I still don't like them kind of people. But... It was wrong what they were trying to do to Tom Hanks, man. <laughs> and that was, you know, Rushmore crumbling. That's who the movie was made for. It was made for people like him. And I kind of feel the same way about the Dallas Buyers Club. You know, McConaughey's character, he is this homophobic, homo, ugh, homophobic prick. You know, he's definitely got some self-esteem issues. You know, uh, his manhood is tied to how many women he can bang, how much he can drink, how many bulls he can ride. I mean, literally, that's not a metaphor, you know. <laughs> um, and then he gets AIDS and he's angry at fate, at God. Um, and then his former peers start to, you know, treat him the way he's treated other people people who came down with AIDS, you know, they start teasing him uh, uh, about being gay, you know, and he just happened to screw someone who was infected. Uh, he, he wasn't gay, and he, at first he's trying to prove this, and eventually it becomes just a different kind of story, and this is a huge sh a change and shift in tone from The Young Victoria, <laughs> which was directed by the same guy, you know. I think I originally shied away from it, not because I didn't think it would be good, but I don't know. In the back of my mind, I kind of have a little trouble with when actors go out of their way to physically alter themselves for a role. Uh, it so often can be like obvious Oscar bait. I mean, when Robert De Niro gained all his pounds for Raging Bull, yeah, it was unique and it was incredible. But years later, like when Christian Bale lost all that weight for The Machinist, that, that was kind of disturbing to me, you know. Uh, and so when I see people do that now, eh, it's like, is this Oscar bait or what? You know, just trying to ooh, look at what they did for their role. But I got to say, McConaughey, oh my God, he he just he knocks it out of the park, uh, out of the park, and um, um, the character that um, Jared Leto portrays, um, he is a combination of various people that Woodruff knew over time, and so is the doctor that Jennifer Garner portrays. She's a combination of various people too, but everyone in the film just knocks it out of the park. I was just blown away, blown, blown, blown away, and I, oh, and I actually got that the same day I picked up Papillon at the dollar store. And the same day, my next choice, um, I'll, we'll talk about. All <laughs> so right, I'll all three right. of them at the same day at the same dollar store. What time is it? It's midnight. I'm going out there now. I'll need the address. 
What's that? What? That. This gun? Yes. What does it look like? A gun. It is a gun. I don't like it. Don't look at it. I'm serious. It's all mine. We don't need a gun, Teach. I pray that we don't, Don. We don't. Tell me why we need a gun. It's not a question, do we need it? Need. Only that it makes me comfortable, okay? It helps me to relax so that... God forbid something inevitable occurs in the choices, and I'm saying, God forbid, it's either him or us. Who? The guy. I'm saying... God forbid the guy or somebody comes in. He's got a, a knife, a, a cleaver from one of those uh, 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 magnetic boards with the two strips and whack and somebody's bleeding to death. This is all merely a deterrent. All the preparation in the world does not mean shit. The path of some crazed lunatic sees you as an invasion of his personal domain. Well, the most pleasant surprise for me was one that managed to elude me since 1996. It's uh, American Buffalo. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, I've missed it this whole time. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, directed by Michael Corrente and from a from a uh, play by David Mamet. And they pretty much, I mean, it, the, the, the screenplay is the play. They apparently didn't right. change a damn thing. Um, and, you know, I, I, I kind of, it wasn't a priority for me because I'd always heard of it as kind of living in the shadow of Glengarry Glenn Ross. Hmm. And... In hindsight, why is that a bad thing? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I agree. Glenn Gregg Glenn Ross is a better movie. It's a great, yeah, damn near a, perfect. It's movie. a more blow you out of your seat kind of movie. Yeah, American that doesn't Buffalo. make this any less a damn good one. Exactly, which is kind of what I was told it wasn't, and now I'm finally glad that I know better. Um, it's it, Dustin Hoffman, Sean Nelson, and Dennis Franz play three schmucks uh, uh, circling the idea of robbing the home of a man who owns a rare coin collection. Hence the American Buffalo in the title. That's part of the collection that they're trying to steal. Uh, the, it's a it's a one act play. It's a pressure cooker of a story. And uh, you know, maybe part of the reason people gave it a hard time too is it, it's not overly cinematic. Yeah, um, it's, it's it, very low key. It's, it's, it's yeah. pretty much a film play almost. Yeah, exactly. Which and I could see, I could see movie critics having a problem with that. But you know, at the same time, I think that sort of added to the feeling of real life, mm-hmm. um, almost like, like literally fourth wall kind of stuff. Like it almost hell. There are moments since we're basically the entire eighty-five minutes or whatever the running time. It's pretty short. Um, since we're basically watching three guys discussing slash arguing about committing a crime, it, it it almost feels like surveillance video. Right, mm-hmm. like it, never thought of it that way. It crossed yeah. my mind, and it actually enhanced my appreciation for it. That like, this felt like police knew that these guys were going to do this, and they you know hit a wire in there, hit a camera in there, and we're just watching because there's you know one of the other swipes people take against it is well, we don't really get to know that much about them. Well, that's that also works for surveillance video. This feels like mm-hmm. it's they're not they're not there to give us a bunch of backstory that doesn't relate to the urgent moment. Mm-hmm. It's just it's the moment like surveillance, and. um uh, so yeah, it's just it's just these three guys, and and the upside of it, the upside of not having too much backstory on them is we don't know where we stand with any of them. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right, like if we have somebody's backstory, of, oh no, now we're sympathizing with this guy, you know, or or somebody else's backstory, oh now we know to look out for that. That that's the dangerous one. No, none of that. So, which I kind of, to me, it actually made it more nerve wracking than than even Glengarry Glenn Ross. Hmm. Um, uh, so you know, if that's the goal, mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool, cool. And yeah, it's it's not a it's not a great disc. There's not a damn thing on it except the movie. There's not even a little booklet inside. <laughs> right. Um, but here's the here's the trick. I picked this up at Dollar Tree, and mm-hmm. and I have a theory. I don't know this for a fact. It seems like 
MGM and Dollar Tree are conspiring. I think they've heard the call of the cheapy bin. They've heard our shows. And they have <laughs> you know, replied. You may be right because I've picked up uh, just my last couple of hauls have been almost exclusively MGM disc. I uh, right. I recently picked up uh, a couple of cop a couple of copies of Under Fire, which is hard to find these days, um, which is from MGM. And um, um, Rescue Dawn, which is from MGM. So yeah, there's yep. uh, there's a lot of MGM stuff floating around in those dollar store cheap events. Yep, yep. I saw your yeah, I saw your post about Under Fire, and, and it made me keep an eye out for it too. Haven't spotted <laughs> it yet, but I'm looking for it. But the, the, all of a sudden, Dollar Dollar Tree and MGM. There's a bunch of stuff from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Handful of Woody Allen's. Yep, yep. Uh, I just picked up a couple too. Right? Yep, some faded classics like Bound for Glory. Uh, yep. Some oddities. I, I picked that like, up. Got that too. Did you? Yeah, that was that was oddities, my last haul. Like Vampire's Kiss with Nicolas Cage. Uh-huh. Like the, right, uh, Red Corner with Richard Gere, which I cool, yeah right came and went before I got a chance to see that one too. So I but okay. like as I was looking at it, somebody else snagged it, and I looked for another copy. Like, oh goddamn, got to come back in a week wow. and see if it's. Not. But this is what I'm saying is like, like like MGM and Dollar Tree seem to have heard us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> our mission is reaching the halls of power, and they're blessing us with dollar gems. Exactly. So, uh, and 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 you know because of that, American Buffalo, which managed to elude me for 25 years is now in my collection and was a damn happy experience. So thanks, MGM and Dollar Tree. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> I have to agree with you. Uh, cool. And it's funny that your Dollar Tree is, is actually, I mean, I, I was just theorizing, but that you're seeing the exact same title. The exact same title, yeah. Store. I just picked up yeah. um, Bound for Glory, Stanley and Iris, um, 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 Broadway Danny Rose, and uh, what was the other one? God, I can't remember the other Woody Allen. Oh, Manhattan Murder Mystery. Nice. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. So they're definitely in, and I know we've talked. Yeah, I think you said you recently uh, snagged a copy of Charlie Bartlett uh, yep. as well, right? Yeah, so yep. did I. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely, they're um, yeah, they're just dumping all these MGM titles. Uh, somehow they worked out, right. but yeah, they must have heard us. They had to have heard us. <laughs> so there's two pleasant surprises. That's my- <laughs> there you go. Hear that, people? We know what we're talking about. Hello, anyone? sun comes up later every day more people just gone Most technically impressive. You want to take the lead in this one? Sure. Okie doke. All right. Um, and it's funny that it's, you know, since just a moment ago, you mentioned uh, uh, The Machinist with Christian Bale because I've got another movie from the same director. Ah, okay, cool. Also from Dollar Tree. <laughs> uh, Vanishing on 7th Street. Oh, I've never heard of that. Me neither. Okay. Uh, but here's something that should automatically endear it to your heart and mine and people like us. Uh, we open on one of our three principal characters. One of our main heroes is John Leguizamo playing a movie theater projectionist. Oh, cool. Right? That's where we start. Wow. Um, uh, and I mean, for my money, Leguizamo makes bad movies watchable and good movies great. 
Absolutely. Always, right. Absolutely. And he could just sit there and sit in a chair and smile and, and, and I'll laugh or he can sit in a chair and glare at me and I'll actually be intimidated. <laughs> so, yep. yeah. Um, so the, it's, it, it begins with him working in a movie theater and he's got this headlamp on while he's reading a book during the movie. And when he comes down from the end of the movie, whole city's vanished. It's just there's, there's clothes lying on the ground. It's like there's been a rapture and he doesn't know what the hell it is. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to figure out what's been going on. And then the movie restarts two other times. Uh, we have we have uh, uh, Tandy Newton as a nurse and um, Hayden Christensen as a local TV news reporter. Hmm. And we see each of their beginnings as they realize where the hell is my entire city? Everybody's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and it, so very quickly, these three find each other and. What they what they basically come to understand is that wherever darkness falls, people vanish, hmm. because they each had a light source directly on them and with them. Interesting. It didn't affect them. So then the whole thing becomes, and this is this is why to me it's technically impressive because it's such a low tech trick. Right, right. right. <laughs> it's the the there's no monster. We never see it. Oh, spoiler, sorry. We never see a monster. We never know what the hell is causing this. Uh huh. Um, but it, it's like the mist, the Stephen King movie, without the mist. Right, right, right. <laughs> nice. It's just, and and I mean, you, you know, and for, for maybe if anybody's tuning in for the first time, I I work in a film school, not a teacher, but I just I work around students all the time, and I'm looking at this thing going, this should be an inspiration to students because this just shows, you know, find a creative solution, mm. mm-hmm. and you can make a terrifying movie with nothing but lighting, right? Nothing but a shadow falling in this end of the room, nice. and a beam of light falling in that end of the room that's too small for two characters to stand in, and which one of them gets to have it. Right, right, right. Right. Nice. That is cool. So it's it's just it's a really neat approach to horror. Um, yeah, it's just it's 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 usually when we have this conversation, I almost resisted using this as my answer because I felt like no, that's not a big enough technical thing. But in the, in the same way, no, it is. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I resisted it. But I kept coming back to it, so it's wow. just, you know. So what's the name of it again? Uh, Vanishing on Seventh Street. Vanishing on Seventh Street. I've got to check my dollar store to see if that's in there. <laughs> it's 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 pretty damn cool. And again, Leguizamo being Leguizamo, so how are you gonna go wrong? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Now it's kind of funny you mentioned that uh, as being so like you know low tech. Mine is kind of on the exact exact opposite end of the spectrum, and it's a film that you've talked about. You've really talked up. I had just never seen before. For me, my most technically impressive is 2018's First Man. Oh, nice! From director Damien Chazelle. Neil, if it does turn out, you'll go down in history. What kind of thoughts do you have about that when the thought hits you? Uh, gosh, suppose that flight successful. We're planning on that flight being successful. Uh, I, I just meant how you feel about being a part of history. I think I can shed some light here. It's a responsibility, but it's exciting to be the first. Even my wife is excited. She keeps slipping jewelry into my PPK. (laughs) You're planning on taking some of her jewelry to the moon buzz? Sure. What what fella wouldn't want to give his wife bragging rights? (laughs) Neil, will you take anything? Uh, if I had a choice, I'd take more fuel. Uh, we've talked to First Man before. Like I said, you had seen it. I had not. Uh, not because I didn't want to. I just never got around to it. Uh, then I found the blue at the dollar store along Get with, you know, Papillon and uh, um, um, the last film I mentioned. Uh, 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 oh, Papillon and Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, I found them all at the same time. Uh, those other two were DVDs. This was a Blu-ray. 
Wow. You know, so it was Blu-ray and DVD, you know, double disc. And uh, now I love First Man not because it adds anything new to the Neil Armstrong Apollo 11 First Man on the Moon story per se, but because of how it carries it off. First off, I love how Armstrong is depicted as somewhat insular, you know, especially after he loses his youngest child. And he pretty much buries himself, kind of hides in his work to almost distancing himself from his family and remaining children. I mean, he's almost literally pushing him away, almost to keep her feeling more pain. I did not expect that because um, in most films we see, whether it's a movie like The Right Stuff or a, a series like From the Earth to the Moon, the astronauts, even when they're made human, they're always likable. And I'm not saying that uh, uh, Ryan Gosling's Armstrong isn't likable. He's just very, very realistic. And so are the other astronauts, you know, just the way they talk amongst them, <clears throat> excuse me, the way they talk amongst themselves, like after the disaster where Gus Grisham and the other two astronauts, you know, burned during the test, um, the, the testing phase of, of one of the Apollo rockets. And just some of the conversation that comes out where, you know, like, or you, you weren't there, you didn't know what happening. And Claire Foy, Claire Foy is absolutely sensational as his wife. Um, and just the relationship between her and Gosling just packs almost like just the scene where she forces him to sit down and talk to his two sons before he goes to the moon and tell them that there's a chance he may not come back. That packs as much of an emotional wallop, if not more than the actual moon landing, which does pack an emotional wallop. I thought you were going to talk to the boys. What did you want me to say? What do you want to say? You're the one that's going away. It's too late now. They're asleep. No, they're not, Neil. You know they're not. Why can't you talk to them? Just stop. Just stop. Hacking! What are the chances you're not coming back? Hmm? What are the chances this is the last time the boys are going to see you? Well, I can't give you an exact number. I don't want a fucking number, Neil! It's not zero, is it? Is it? No. No, it's not. Pat doesn't have a husband. Those kids, they don't have a father anymore. Do you understand what that means? What are the chances that's going to be Ricky and Mark? And I, I can't tell them... Their dad spent the last few minutes packing his briefcase. You're going to sit him down, both of them, and you're going to prepare them for the fact that you might not ever come home. You're doing that. You. Not me. I'm done. But that's not the technical stuff. I mean, it was produced by Spielberg and Amblin, and it was originally going to be another team-up. Uh, it was originally going to be directed by Clint Eastwood, I, I found out. And it was going to be Spielberg and Eastwood's third film after Bridges of Madison County, Flags of Our Fathers, Letters from Iwo Jima. But Eastwood dropped out, Chazelle and Gosling stepped in, and the film was made. And this is what blows me away. It cost between 60 to $70 million, which ain't chicken feed, but it looks like twice as much. And not just because of the incredible Oscar-nominated effects work you know, 
during the moon mission, but just the production design, the costume design, the digital environments, which just recreates the 1960s in such stunning detail. I mean, that montage sequence with Gil Scott Heron's Whitey on the Moon yes, yes. <laughs> is absolutely yes. phenomenal. And few movies capture the 60s that well. This one did. It should have cost twice as much, but it is just a production designer and history fan's wet dream. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, and, and I, I definitely fall in that category. I was just blown away by both the movie and just the movie craft in this film. Wow. I'm so glad you liked it because it's, yeah, yeah I've, 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 I, I have not, this is the first I've met somebody else who liked it as much. I've heard, had some people, yeah, it's all right. Bullshit. It's fucking great. <laughs> and, no, um, sensational, man. And I've heard, and I've also heard like there was a brief camp of people who were griping about it at the time. Um, about because, the flag yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, just yeah, because, yeah. I mean, they would say, well, we don't see the moment where he actually does that. You know, how many times have you seen that news clip? Right, exactly. You know, yeah, that, yeah. that's out there. That's that's the known part. What is yeah. the, and it's, you know, what is the title of this movie? It's not First American. It's not America on the Moon. Right. It's a man. It's the story First. about a man. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And the other thing that happens on the moon, no spoilers here, mm-hmm. but there's something else to, to everything you're saying. So much more personal. Yeah, yeah. That just stopped my heart when I saw it. And it's just, I would rather have that moment than seeing a re, a yet another recreation of the flag. Right, exactly. And then we, we do see the flag in the background at some point. It's like we know that it's been put up. it's there. It's been put up. It's not like yeah. you're saying it's not there. We, it's it's around. But it's just yeah. not the focal point of why he's there, which is – or at least with, you know, it's not the focal point of what he's what's entirely on his mind. Exactly. Which is just – stunning when we yeah so i'm so wow so glad you got to see it that's great very cool (laughs) cool next up fave which most of the world absolutely hated (laughs) i'm gonna go with 2018's den of thieves interesting Uh, written produced and directed by christian gudgas you know what this means means i am a member of a clique it's kind of like being in a gang only we have badges which means you are done. He ain't lying. What the fuck are you doing hanging out in that crew? Hmm? Those dudes are bad dudes. Great thieves, but straight convicts. Let me ask you this. Okay. Do we look like the types who'll arrest you? Not at all. Right. Exactly. We just shoot you. It's less paperwork. You're not the bad guys. We are. Okay, I'm, I'm curious why you say interesting. But uh, pretty much, you know, for me, fun-ass movie. Uh, stars uh, Gerard Butler, <laughs> 50 Cent, O'Shea Jackson Jr., who was Cube's son, who portrayed his father, O'Shea out of Compton, and Pablo Schreiber. Now, essentially, uh, Butler is the head of an L.A. police task force playing cat and mouse with a group of viciously violent but super smart bank robbers led by Pablo Schreiber, who's become popular portraying badasses these days in shows like The Wire, Law & Order SVU, and Orange is the New Black. Now, essentially, it's them, you know, tangling ass, uh, the cops, and then at the end, there's this pretty big cool caper that the guys want to pull off which almost borders on something from a die hard movie <laughs> but it pulls back just enough to keep it realistic uh now it's essentially heat light 
but a bit more harsh and deliberately grungy, and with Gerard's detective almost to that sociopathic level of William Peterson into Live and Die in L.A. And is this as good as those two movies? No. But it actually, surprisingly, comes pretty close because it's just so well effing made. It really is. Um, it's tight. Uh, it's another one of those movies which should have cost a lot more than it did. And um, I did a uh, I did a little checkup uh, after watching the movie because the name Goodgast isn't the most common name in the world. <laughs> and Christian Goodgast, yes, he is the son of Hans Goodgast, uh, a.k.a. Eric Braden who, you know, we know and love from movies like Colossus, the Forbin Project. He was Professor Charles Forbin. Wow. And Escape from Planet, the Planet of the Apes. He was uh, Professor Hessline, you know, who developed the time loop theory. Um, he was in the old TV show, The Rat Patrol, uh, as Dietrich, the main antagonist of our uh, American soldiers in the desert. And many people know him as Victor Newman from, I forgot which soap opera. It might have been The, the Young and the Restless. I, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I know he's still very popular in one of those soap operas uh, for many, many, many years. But yeah, his uh, the name he was born with in Germany was Hans Gudgast. When he came to Hollywood, he changed it to Eric Braden. His son, Christian Gudgast, is now a director filmmaker, and he directed Den of Thieves, which is a very, very cool movie. Like I said, it's heat light, to live and die in L.A. light, but it's pretty damn good. A lot of fun. You, you, you t I laughed because you touched on exactly what I was – heat light was what I was afraid of. Okay, um, okay. And to hear that it is that, but it still is is a hoot. All right, I'll keep an eye out. Yeah, it's it's just damn well made. Yeah, man. And it's cool. it's a cast that I like, so that's the yeah, – Oh, that, a great that cast. Was the main awesome was, cast. Yeah, okay, cool. Good, 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 good. Yeah, and definitely, I mean, if you see it in the dollar store, snag it. It's worth a buck, man. It, <laughs> yeah. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's very cool. All right. Uh, mine is, well, you know, since we've touched already a couple times on movies that, that looked like a lot more than they were made for, budget-wise, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, I've got kind of the reverse. Okay. Uh, my, my movie that everybody else seemed to have hated was Live by Night. Uh, written and directed by Ben Affleck from 2016. Oh, I picked that up at the dollar store. Too. I haven't you? watched it yet. <laughs> haven't watched it yet. Actually, Blu-ray. Picked up the Blu-ray. Right. Oh, you watched it yet? Though. I got the plain DVD. But, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and I mean, this is this is the problem with it. It was a 110 million dollar movie, and it doesn't show. It, that's oh. that's part of the glitch. Is that you know when you mentioned that you know uh, First Man was practically half that. Wow. That's a movie that yeah, yeah. So this this I mean it, it looks as good as First Man for a period movie. Maybe not quite. Right. But, but not but then, that much. That... Yeah, it's it, it doesn't look like 110, not by a damn sight. So I don't know where the hell mm -hmm. the money went. That's probably part of the problem. Um, and also, it's, there seems to be an ebb and flow of just people hating Ben Affleck. And this is a yeah, movie that came so. out in one of the ebb periods because it was. It also opened right around the same time as The Accountant, which also didn't do well. And I actually liked that movie. I, I, I liked it more it. than this one, to be honest. Okay, I love uh, The Accountant. I think it's yeah. great. Um, but now, uh, uh yes. now Ben directed this one too, didn't he? Directed, he directed it, Live by Night, adapted right? it from uh, a novel by Dennis Lehane. Is the second time adapting right. a Dennis Lehane novel, and maybe that's part of the, another reason people. Oh, he's only maybe they thought he was a one trick pony, kind of the way they griped mm. about uh, about Frank Darabont. Like after like, oh, he's doing another Stephen King. What? Why not? <laughs> if he can do two that good, yeah, why not? He, he and does it well? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, it, it's funny. I initially came to this story. Uh, because I picked, so Dennis Lehane has these three, has a trilogy of crime novels about a, a character named Joe Coughlin, uh, uh, starts out post-World War One, um, son of a cop, becomes a, a Boston gangster, uh, mm -hmm. and then forced out of Boston and ends up kind of creating a Boston to Miami crime, organized crime world. We're hoping you can talk some sense into ID Pruitt. 
Ain't too many people ever had much success doing that. We'd like you to try. And what would the reason be? His self-preservation. He needs to stop shooting up my clubs. Clubs? What kind of clubs? Bridge clubs? Because I belong to the Greater Tampa Rotary Club myself, and I don't recall ever seeing you. Look, do you think that we got where we are by letting some inbred muscle us? If that's who you think we are, you're making a fatal miscalculation, son. We're clerks and bankers and police officers and deputies. And yeah, we even got a judge. And if you're dumb enough to fight us, we're gonna rain bloody hellfire down on you and all you love. So you're threatening me with people who are more powerful than you? Exactly. What am I talking to you for? And I picked up the, without even knowing it was the third in the trilogy, I picked up the third book um, about six months before this movie came out. Oh, wow. And read it, and it was it, dumbass me. I was halfway f- through it before I even realized that it was the end of the trilogy and not the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and And literally the day I finished it, I went to the movies and saw the trailer for Live by Night. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so, so having having read a book in the series, mm-hmm. he nails the tone wow, cool. of the book. Very cool. Um, and to be honest, while I was reading it, his was the voice I was hearing as the character. He's just really he he nails the tone. He nails the character. Um, and it's also I mean it's it's while it do, while the the money doesn't look like it, it shows entirely on screen, and while it also does, it feels a little too movie ish. Hmm, as okay. as period movies go, and I think you touched on it earlier with again with First Man and, and that you know the Whitey on the Moon song. There's not enough that music could have helped this movie. Huh. Music could have huh. helped it feel more like we're watching the period versus we're watching a movie of the period. Gotcha. Um, you know, uh, but it's it's still neat because it's it's just I mean when you think of gangster movies, especially 1920s and 30s set gangster movies, it's always New York or Chicago, maybe L.A. Maybe uh, yeah, true. Exactly. But Miami is that to me is that, that's kind of an untapped world to yeah. sort of see Tony Montana before Tony Montana almost, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it just it it uses both locations well. I think it uses. I mean, you know, I'm in Boston, so it, it uses the Boston parts really well. And then it, it it it's one of those movies that makes you want to go to the place you're seeing it made me want to visit florida and and i don't know florida or florida of that era <laughs> either one really okay because you know, i i don't i hate heat i hate humidity this made me want to go check it out <laughs> um, <laughs> okay and it's so it's it's basically it's it's you know a crime movie with uh son of a cop playing multiple sides of the criminal world against each other uh um uh, Zoe Saldana pops up, always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and again, it, it took me until deep in the movie to realize that okay, this is the same character being referred to in the in the third book that I. Read. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just about the the rise of the the end of prohibition and the rise of illegal gambling in Miami, as said about by this book from Boston. <laughs> Um, cool. and it's, you know, it, it, it's, again, it's not great. And compared to the other three movies that, that Ben Affleck has directed, it is the mm-hmm. least of those, of those four. That okay. doesn't make it a bad movie. It right, just makes right. it not as great as the town. As the other yeah. ones. Yeah. So, Hell, Spielberg has movies like exactly, that too. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So did Hitchcock for God's sakes. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's not, 
is not great, but it's I think I think it was unfairly maligned because it was in one of the ebb moments of the right. Affleck. It was it was right after Argo, right? And Argo was so highly regarded. That yeah, yeah. Where yeah. he could go without somebody trying to take him down a peg, and they did. And it's kind of unfortunate because it's still a pretty damn good movie. Cool. I might I might have to watch that uh, tonight or tomorrow night. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely got. To, uh, uh, yeah, I definitely have to get to that now. It's definitely bumped itself up on the must see list. Uh, yeah, it's 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 been on the shelf. Um, I picked it up with a with a group of films, maybe five films from the dollar store, maybe six months ago. Uh, I think I picked it up around the same time I picked up uh, Inherent Vice. And uh, I still haven't gotten to that one yet, too, although I've been really meeting to. I might watch them both on the same night. Hey, that's <laughs> okay, cool. Pretty cool. Have no intel inside? We have your eyes. The convict is my partner? He knows it like the back of his head. What's your plan? Let's make him pay. You the new show for town? Gotta make you a little bit anxious. Revenge and justice are not the same. Waiting for a fool the way they played your father. You need to wake up, my man. There are no more heroes around here. I'm not so sure about that. category will be favorite guilty pleasure mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> you want to go ahead and <laughs> go, go ahead and start on that one sure and you know what this okay. this may be a surprise it's it's the most i mean not just in in what we're doing this time but i think possibly in cheapy bin history it may be the wow. most recent one okay um willie's wonderland from 2021 with nicholas cage Wonder. Wow, I'm not familiar with Okey that. Okie doke. Well, it was supposed to come out theatrically uh, in 2020. Um, and then they just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And then finally they just put it on video on demand and, and Blu-ray. And okay. I'd, I'd been seeing it in uh, Walmart for 14 bucks. Okay. I saw the, not the disc, but I did see like a poster or okay. something about it online. Okay. I just remember that title now. Okay. And I, I remember the poster, but know nothing of the film right. at all. So it's, 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 um, saw it in Walmart, 14 bucks. It looked, this, this looks gonzo weird fun, but mm-hmm. I don't know about 14 bucks. Exactly. And then, so there's this, this other store that does like a, you know, they have a, it's a discount closeout store. This is kind of place right. that like buys up stores from other stores that are closing and going mm-hmm. out of business, and then it just sells them at like firehouse sale, right? Yeah, and they had it for half price. Cool. Still, yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Came back yeah. a few weeks later. They had a they had a, a half off R marked price on all DVDs, so I was able to get a Blu-ray of a movie that came out months ago, not even a year ago, for three dollars and fifty cents. Very cool. There Couldn't resist it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's it's not a good movie, but it's a, <laughs> but it's a great movie. It's that kind of thing where it's like this is dumb, this is ridiculous. I feel like I'm losing IQ points just watching it, and I don't care because I didn't I don't eat care, them. Exactly, those IQ points didn't make me a happier person, and this is ridiculous <laughs> enough that I'm a happier person now from having watched. This town has a dark history, and it all starts with this horrible place. Willie's may seem like a happy-go-lucky child's play place, but it's much, much more than that. 
Willie's was built in 1996, the brainchild of Jerry Robert Willis. If that name sounds familiar to you, it should. Jerry was one of the last century's most sick and sadistic serial killers. Jerry spent most of the time cultivating similar sickos. I mean, these were the most depraved people you could ever imagine. Often, Jerry and his crew would whisk away unsuspecting families to the super happy fun room. Once inside, the families would be treated to a birthday cake and a private show by Willie Weasel. The shows would always end the same way. Nicolas Cage not have a single line of dialogue in the whole damn movie. Jesus. Right? Wow. Um, the, 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 the setup is he's a drifter with a badass Nicolas Cage muscle car, probably one of his own cars. Right. Because um, his movie's low enough budget, he probably had his own clothes and everything in it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he's driving through a town in, in like, you know, Nevada kind of backwoods uh, town, gets a flat tire, has no money. A guy in a garage says, tell you what, we got this broken down amusement park. Why don't you go sweep up around there? It's in disrepair. Just go clean it up. I'll work on your car. You work on that. Maybe it'll be done around the same time, and then we'll call it even. Sounds good? Mm -hmm. Nicholas Cage just glares and nods and goes. Mm -hmm. So once he gets in there, they lock him in, and it turns out uh, the animatronics in there are demonically possessed. Totally. It's (laughs) ridiculous. Okay. So it's Nicholas Cage locked in in an amusement park with – monster animatronic cute demon possessed monster animatronics yeah. okay and cool. there's also so and and we come to realize that he's not the first person this has happened to and there are some high school kids who who one of them has lost a parent in there and she's now leading her friends to let's go burn this place down and then she realizes wait a minute there's this innocent guy in there i can't leave him in there mm-hmm. so now you got these two factions and it's just it's 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 another short one it's like 84 minutes it's just Hell bent for leather, mayhem and violence, um, and and for some inexplicable reason, Nicolas Cage, whenever he has a moment to pause, he doesn't wander around trying to figure out what's going on. No, he plays a pinball machine and drinks beer. He just keeps <laughs> pausing to drink beer and play. And he, you know, we keep having these close-ups of him like crushing a can and then throw it in the in the in the garbage can. It's it's ridiculous. It's not a good movie, but it's so great. <laughs> but it's great. And right, right. One of the earliest shows you and I ever uh, touched on. We 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 once talked about you know the the fun of seeing it in a theater with a crowd versus yes. it on your own. I honestly feel like this is a movie that I had more. I I saw it alone on, on TV, but it would. Mm-hmm. I feel like more than being in a theater, you should watch this. With friends, crushing his... It should be a drinking game. It's a drinking game. I was, I was thinking the exact same thing. You crush thing. a beer when Nicolas when Cage crushes a beer. Crushes you watch beer. this movie, you'll have a, you'll have a blast. And it's, it, I'll buy that for... Well, it, it did cost me more than a dollar this time. But, but it was it was worth it for a $3.50 uh, uh, Blu-ray. Um, it's just ridiculous fun. And it's Nicolas Cage at his Nicolas Cage-iest. Cool. If I can find that, like on Amazon, you know how a lot of of times on Amazon you can pick up something used for like two or three bucks. If I can find it used on Amazon for two or three bucks, uh, I'll snag it. It, Yeah, I'm not going to pay fourteen or fifteen bucks, but if I can find it for two or three bucks, definitely you sold me. Do not recommend it for fourteen bucks. Right? No. Yeah, I got you. I got you. (laughs) To anyone? To anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Hell no. Okay. Now mine. uh, I guess it's not as as guilty of that one. But uh, I'm going with 2014's Brick Mansions. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was directed by Camille Delamar. And it's another film from the Luc Besson action movie factory. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And those who know Luc Besson action movies, you know what you ex- you know what to expect. It's like you pays your money and you get to what you pay for. <laughs> Basically, what it is. Um, like most of the other Besson produced films, is written uh, by him and Robert Mark Kamen. Uh, this one and a lot of his films now are being are being directed by guys who have done and women who have done other work on his films as either editors or stunt personnel or whatever. Uh, Delamar was uh, his editor on a couple of the Transporter movies and I think one or two of the Taken films. And it's actually a remake of Besson and Pierre Morel's District 13, uh, the French film, which came out a few years prior. And the action twist here is that it kind of exploits, takes advantage of the whole uh, parkour free-running uh, uh, sport. And in fact, uh, well, the movie stars uh, uh, Paul Walker, and it's actually um, his second to the last film. It's the film he made um, right before um, uh, Furious 7. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, David Bell, or David Beal, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's a French stuntman who was the lead in the original French film. He's the uh, free-running uh, uh, athlete. And this version takes place in Detroit. I guess you could say it's the near future, even though it's never stated, but it's a Detroit that's so overrun by crime. The whole brick mansions area, like a housing project, has been sealed off from the rest of the city, kind of like Escape from New York. And if I'm not mistaken, oh no, this wasn't the one that John, John Carpenter uh, brought a lawsuit about. It was a the science fiction film that Bassan did that was like a kind of a direct rip of Escape from New York. But no, this isn't it. But it has a similar premise. Um, the housing project is sealed off and... Um, Paul Walker is an undercover cop who's been trying to nail this big drug kingpin uh, played by the RZA, <laughs> you know, who's always fun to watch. And um, uh, David Bell, he's a, a French-Caribbean ex-con who somehow got involved with the RZA, destroyed some of his shipment, and his girlfriend has been kidnapped. And he and Walker have to team up and go in there to get her and bring the RZA down. But... That's the surface story. By the time it gets to the end, there's kind of a neat little twist there. You know, it's got like a little social conscience to it as well. But um, it is just a butt-wild action movie. You know, it's like um, Luc Besson movies, if they're done right. (laughs) (laughs) You just sit there and you marvel and you laugh your butt off at the same time because the action sequences, kind of like in the John Wick movies, they're just so over the top and so crazily choreographed. You're like, now what fool actually did this <laughs> you know because obviously you have stuntmen doing it and there's very i mean there's some cgi wire removal and what have you but in most of luke Besson's movies they still do that stuff the old-fashioned way you know it's not like cgi stunts and all that kind of stuff you you know you get some fool out there to do this free running and uh and to go all through and it's like it's like remember the opening of casino royale okay yeah okay think of that for 90 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay and that's kind of pretty much what Brick Mansions is. It's, um, you know, uh, it's not trying to change the world. It doesn't really have a political agenda. Eh, maybe a little bit a little bit of one by the end. But uh, it's it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I heard people dump on the movie when it first came out. But I think it's a blast. It is a fun ride. Neat. I haven't seen it, but it, on my list now. And I have seen it in the dollar store, so I'll keep an eye. Excellent. Okay, <laughs> cool. All right. Now, as far as brrr, drum roll. Favorite Cheapy Bin film of 2021. Okay. Now, for me, this was a tough one. Um, because it, became, it came down to either this, uh, The Edge of Seventeen, which I really, really loved. 
which I was so shocked at how much I loved. Uh, and Charlie Rose, I'm uh, sorry, Charlie Rose, Charlie Bartlett, <laughs> Charlie Rose, big difference. But like those two, and some people will probably say those two were better films. It certainly got much better reviews than the one I'm going to pick. But for whatever reason, this one just totally took my heart away, man. I I love the premise. I love the movie even more. It's uh, The Space Between Us. Show it to me. We can't just turn the mission around, correct? Doctor, how's she doing anyway? You mean aside from being mortified? She's fine. Oh, this is a disaster. Nathaniel, she's due shortly after they arrive. We need to get out in front of this. An astronaut behaved irresponsibly, and NASA will make a decision what to do as soon as the baby's born. Decision about what? About when to bring them back. Tom, there's a big issue here. Subjecting a fetus to zero gravity during its entire gestation. It's, it's uncharted territory. We do not go to press. We keep this internal for now. We need to gather more information. What are you saying? I'm saying we go short-term contingency. We have Dr. Lowe deliver the baby on Mars. We keep this quiet. We, we wait this out. Sarah may have behaved irresponsibly, but she's no longer just an astronaut, and it's not just a Genesis decision. She's a mother now. Right, from 2017, uh, directed by Peter Chelsom. And, you know, he's a guy who's directed movies like Shall We Dance and Serendipity. So he's uh, he's not a novice. Uh, it stars Gary Oldman, Asia Butterfield, Carla Gugino, Britt Robertson. Um, its premise, I guess you could say, is kind of a science fiction romance film. The premise is that uh, Gary, Old, Gary Oldman... Uh, <laughs> I can't even talk. Uh, Gary Oldman is this billionaire CEO kind of like, um, oh God, come on, what's this guy? Uh, kind of like a more benign Jeff Bezos. Okay. <laughs> who, um, he's the CEO of a corporation that finances a first, the mission to colonize Mars. There's a head of the mission who was a woman, unbeknownst to most of the crew, she was actually pregnant when she went there. She has a child on Mars. She dies giving birth. So the child is raised on the Red Planet. Uh, years later, he's a teenager, and even though you have missions going back and forth to Mars, he can't come back to Earth. They, and they and NASA have kind of been keeping him a secret. Uh, he can't come back to Earth because they fear he has uh, osteogenesis imperfecta, which is brittle bones, which will be destroyed by Earth's gravity. So he's kind of stranded there. He's sort of like uh, the boy in a plastic bubble, almost, but the bubble is the planet Mars. But um, he falls in love with through the internet you know he falls in, he finds himself falling in love with this young high school student played by Britt robertson and he doesn't tell her where he is just that he's you know, like in, in a hospital that he can't come to see her but you know eventually they decide they're going to let him come to earth he undergoes a special treatment uh they don't know how long he can stay on earth or whether he'll survive he comes to earth he wants to meet her he escaped from the facility to go meet her. And it turns into this road movie. And I just, I'm a sucker for a road movie with the two of them crossing the country trying to find his father. Dude, do you have a problem? Cause you've definitely been looking at me for the last four hours and it's starting to freak me out. You're so beautiful. And then you blurt that out just like that. 
What? Yeah, why wouldn't I? Uh, because you may want to just play it cool, you know? Ease yourself into the love game. But I do think you're beautiful. <sighs> you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Okay, so slow your roll, kid. You're... You gotta calm down. I don't want to calm down. And I don't understand why this is making you so upset. Hey, first of all, I'm not upset. I am uncomfortable. There's a difference. Secondly, people don't go around saying what they feel whenever they feel it. They have guards and, and shields and other metaphors. Why? Because we're all messed up and scared and trying to be something that we're not. And, and if we all went around just declaring our innermost desires to the exact people we felt them for, well, then we'd all end up happy or something. Look, Gardner. I'm happy that you think I'm beautiful and kind of had an amazing time with you, but the last thing I'm gonna do is actually tell you that. You just did. So it's just a neat premise, but what I love, and this is a dangerous thing to do, to compare yourself to a classic film. Early on in the film, he's watching the movie Wings of Desire. Oh, okay. And he falls in love with the film and he realizes that his situation is not unlike the angel in Wings of Desire, where he is almost willing to come, become mortal, so to speak, come down to earth and risk his own mortality to be with the woman he loves. And it actually works. <laughs> it's, kind of a, it's kind of tonally a cross between Starman and Wings of Desire. And those are two movies that people would say are much better movies, but it freaking works. It it stole my heart away, man. Wow. <laughs> it's beautifully directed. It's beautifully filmed. Uh, it's another one of those films. It costs like $30 million, and it looks like two or three times as much, especially the first act with all the stuff taking place on Mars. It was like, how do they make this movie for $30 million? It is just absolutely unreal. I don't understand why critics dumped upon it so much, but I think it's an absolutely wonderful film. Wow, great. Everything everything worked for me. Cool. I, you know, I, I remember... It, Coming in, I was moderately interested. It was on the list to, if not pay for, at least sneak into. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just, I, it, it came and went before I had a shot at it, and then it just wasn't a priority. But now, now it will be. Yeah. And again, Blu-ray dollar store. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe do a quick uh, go through next time you go there and see if it's in there. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, my my favorite cheapy bin movie last year is is, it's it's kind of an odd one because. I, it's odd because I did see the first about 25 minutes of this in a movie theater. Okay. Uh, on the last day that it was showing, and then some some cluster bleep happened with the with the DCP, and they weren't able to finish the show. Oh. And it was the last. It was it was a Thursday. It was the, the last yeah. show of the it, last of the day. Run. Exactly. Wow. And uh, you know, now, is it one you is it one you snuck into or when you paid? What I actually paid for. So they gave me, oh, so they crap. you know they gave me the readmit pass and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. But um, uh, it, it's called Synchronic. Uh, with Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan. You know, they say we see everything once in this game. Pretty sure we've never seen this. I think they need help. You all right? I'm fine. The bad news is it's inoperable and never starts your radiation. What's going on with you? I want to know that there's meaning in the things I do. If you're watching this, I'm probably trying to convince you of something. 
Pretty unbelievable or dead. And and see and here's the neat thing is you know, oh and so the same place where I picked up uh, Willie's Wonderland, uh, same deal. I, I mean I did not ah. I hunted for this movie. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I mean, I was so roped in by that first act that I mm-hmm. wanted to see what was happening. I was trying to find it on Amazon. And I thought, is it just not even? I mean, it was an indie thing. Is it just? Is it just not even getting a video release, or is it maybe only streaming or what? And I'm not big wow. on streaming to begin with. Yeah. Um, but it showed up in that same store with the half price wow. and then the half price, so I ended up getting for two fifty. Cool. Um, out of curiosity, uh, what label is it on? I mean, I know it's an independent I, film, but I, what the disc label I, is it? I got it right here. It's um. Well Go USA Entertainment. I don't even, I don't even know what the hell wow. that is. <laughs> okay, you got me on that. Okay, um, but hey, okay, is there cool. Anybody else on here that I even recognize? Like, uh, yeah, uh, the other company, Red Flower Film hmm. LLC. Okay. Nah. Don't even know what the hell that is. So yeah, so, oh, yeah well. it, okay. I, I saw the the first the, it, probably like less than a month after theaters first started to reopen from COVID. Right, mm-hmm. like back when you had to be totally masked up, and there yeah. were there was no concession or nothing. Just you know, mm-hmm. you go in, you sit ten seats away from everybody, you see the movie, mm-hmm. and um, and something went wrong. And 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 so what I knew from seeing it theatrically was, uh, Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan play two ambulance drivers in New Orleans, uh, who become aware of this street drug that is making people have violent outbursts. Mm-hmm. And they usually come upon them after the after somebody's already dead, if not everybody who had been tripping is already dead. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out, and that, that that's as much as I knew. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, so it's okay, bringing out the dead. I've seen this movie before. It's cool, right. ambulance drivers and and like uh, some sort of crime story. Neat. Um, so I go, I researched it a little bit more and found out. Oh wait a minute, this is there's actually a sci-fi element to this thing. All right, I don't want to know anymore. I just want to find the damn movie. Right, right, right. A, a year later stumble on this one DVD the, the same store when it had this big sale table they had like nine copies of everything wow. right like dozens of copies of, of Wonder Woman 84 <laughs> but, but, but <laughs> yeah. one little copy of this hidden in the middle of everything Wow. and um, and what it turns out is that the street drug um, called, uh, well this is this a spoiler uh, no because it's, it's still within the first half okay, I, think I, right. can, I think I can phrase it without blowing up too much okay it, it it causes people to time travel, but they have no control over how far, how long, or anything. Because it's like any other Ooh. drug. It's like, you know, your trip is not, right. not once you're tripping, you're out of your control. How can I help you, sir? You have synchronic? Uh, how many? All of them. You have any more in the back? Where? The back, back inventory. Oh, we don't, we don't have that. So when do you get more? No, we don't. It's discontinued. This happens a lot with that stuff back there. How much? 105.14. You have good people dying every day. You in here killing your brain. People fucking getting stabbed with swords falling down seven-story elevator shafts for this shit. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't even know I was bothering you. I just, like, apologize. Excuse me, sir. What? I know this sounds strange, but, uh, could I buy that synchronic off of you for triple what you just paid? No! Go home to your wife or your girlfriend or whoever. Be glad you didn't ingest this shit. I'll give you $2,000. Go home. 
Um, and which then causes it to use New Orleans very, very well. Hmm. New Orleans history, which I didn't, I didn't expect to see. I, you know, you know, I'm a sucker for when a movie become when when a, when a location becomes a character. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens here. And I totally wasn't aware that it was going to be that kind of movie. Okay, cool. Um, and, uh, and also, I mean, you know, I, I I saw this before I saw Belfast, but having having seen both of these within a few months of each other, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same as seeing Robert Pattinson totally walk away from Twilight and just be so damn cool and everything. Mm-hmm. Now I'm starting to see Jamie Dornan as like, you know, never mind Fifty Shades of Grey. That might have made him yeah. a, black, a, a, a box office name. Mm-hmm. But between these, between this and Belfast, like I'll see anything this guy wants to do next because he's just making cool. really neat stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, like I say, to a DV distributor and a film company distributor that I've never even heard of who the hell even knows what kind of fair shake this thing's going to get. Yeah. Uh, if it's already popping up at this discount store, maybe it'll be in the dollar tree and big and, you know, in a wider variety of stores soon too, mm. hopefully. But it's just, it's, it's one, no, it, it would, if I had been able to see the whole thing, it would have been one of my favorite movies of the year. So it's not even like guilty pleasure. It's not like right, right. a, a unfairly maligned one. It's just a damn solid movie that slipped through the cracks. Nice. So yeah, yeah. I've got to find that. I will definitely find it's that. It's It's called. Cool. Can you dig it? Well, I guess that'll do it for uh, our fifth annual Cheap Even Awards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, no other award show can touch us. I'm telling exactly. you, especially uh, <laughs> when especially MGM and Dollar Tree are bending to our will. We've done exactly. <laughs> Very cool. So, until the next time, uh, I'm Craig Jamison from Go Cottage Online. And I'm Jim Delaney from TheLunchMovie.com. And see you next time up there in those cheap seats. Enjoy the show. A reminder that all film, music, and other clips are the rights and property of the copyright holders and are used here for entertainment, educational, and criticism purposes only. 